uh, we're going to start a brand new series today. Um, before we get to that, I want to tell you about what's coming after this series, because I'm excited about this series, but I'm really excited um, about the next series. Um, and I want to I get you ready for it, because August is going to fly by. So starting September 10th, uh, for six weeks, we're going to take a journey through the book of Daniel. Um, the series is called Daniel Shining in Babylon. Um, and, and we're going to answer the question or try to answer the question, how should followers of Jesus live in an increasingly spiritually hostile environment? Um, what does it look like for followers of Jesus today to live when everything around us does not support or help or, or draw us closer to living um, as God's people. Um, Daniel's a book in the Old Testament written 2,200 years ago, but it might be the most relevant book in the Bible for followers of Jesus in America today. Um, and we're, we're just going to spend six weeks talking about that. And the reason I want you to know about this right now, this is an all-church series. That means that um, we're going to create some content for all of our small groups. So all the small groups are going to be talking about and wrestling with the same thing. We're going to start some brand new small groups. Uh, Pastor Josh has a couple other things planned um, as far as, as groups ministry is concerned. And I'm telling you this now. So if you want to start reading the book of Daniel, go for it. Um, but I want you to start praying with me as well right now. Fall is busy. It's busy for us as a church. It's busy for families. There's a lot going on. Um, and it's also the season or one of the seasons of the year that there's a lot of people that show up to church uh, for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And I, th I, think, I think they're going to show up with questions, with doubts, with fears, with what ifs, just like we do. And I think God has something to say to them and to us through the book of Daniel. So I'm, I want to I encourage you and ask you to start praying about that, that God would speak clearly to us and them, that we would be obedient. Um, I really could pray about that every single week if you want to, but I really, really want you to be aware of that, okay? Before we get there, this series, and here's where we start. Um, every single week, one of our pastors gets up here and in one way, shape, or form, talks about or says our mission as a church. Our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus by creating environments where life change can happen. And those of you who have been around for the last 16 years have heard us say that every single week. And some of you, because I, I, I know some of you get tired of us saying it. Some of you roll your eyes. Okay, we're going to say this again, you know. Um, some of you, you, you have other, other responses to that. But I want to ask, have you ever wondered how do people grow in a relationship with Jesus? How does that happen? How does that, that, that take place? I mean, it's a great goal. It sounds biblical. sounds like a worthy goal. But like, how does that actually happen? Another way to think about this is to think, how do you grow in a relationship with anybody? How do you grow in a relationship with your spouse? How do you grow in a relationship with your kids? How do you grow in a relationship with your boss or your employees or your, your friends, your coworkers? What does that look like? Like how, how does that happen? Does it, just, does it just take place? Just kind of organically? Do you just let it happen? Or are there things that you actually do to grow in those relationships? And, and the answer is yes to all of those questions. Yes, there are some, some things I do intentionally, some things that happen unintentionally, but our goal, our desire as a church is to help as many people as possible to meet, surrender to, and grow 
in a relationship with Jesus because the more you grow in a relationship with someone, the more trust you put in them, the more confidence you put in them. And, and the best thing, the best thing that can happen in, in a relationship, the best thing that can happen in your marriage is incredible trust. Hey, have you heard from your husband today? No, but I trust him. Hey, um, the, best, the best thing that can happen in a parent-child relationship is trust. Um, why do your parents make you do that? I have no idea, but I trust them. Or why isn't your dad at your game yet? I don't know, but I, I trust it'll be here. Like you find me a great relationship, and the basis of that great relationship will be trust. I trust when they do what they say they're going to do. I trust when it doesn't look like they're going to say, they're going to do what they said they're going to do. I, I trust when they come through. I trust when it doesn't look like they're going to come through. I just, I just trust you. I have that much confidence. I have that much um, history. I have that much faith in you. That's the nature of great relationships between men and women, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons, bosses, employees, coaches, players. And I think the same is true in our relationship with Jesus. So here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine what your life would look like if you had perfect trust in Jesus. What would you say? How would you think? What would that do um, in, in, in your relationships? How, what would that do with your money? What would that do with your time? What would it look like to have a, a, a perfect trust in Jesus, that no matter what happened around you, when things were bad, when things were good, when things went how you wanted them to, when things didn't go how you wanted them to, like what would it look like if you had unwavering confidence, no fear, no anxiety, no doubt? It's not that everything worked out how you want it to, but you just have this just unshakable faith that He is with you, that He's around you, that He's working that he's seeing you through everything you face. How different would your life look? See, here's what I believe. And I believe this because it's where scripture takes us. I believe that's where the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. To have an unshakable, unmovable confidence and faith in, in God, in Jesus. Perfect trust where he wants to take those of us who have, have, have already decided to follow, believe, and obey. As you read the Old and the New Testament, it's the story of God just growing this extraordinary, unshakable, are you kidding me kind of confidence in his people. So I can say unequivocally, God's will for your life, regardless of how much you know about the Bible, regardless of how many times you've come to church, regardless of how many of the, the Ten Commandments you know and obey, regardless of all of that, what you believe or don't believe, whatever your background, God's will for your life is for you to have that kind of confidence in him. And it happens in the context of a growing relationship with him. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. Okay? Today, I want to start um, with, with a passage of scripture um, from the book of Matthew. So Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 8, if you want to find that in your Bible or your Bible app. In Matthew chapter 8, this is right after the, the Sermon on the Mount. We've been talking a lot about the Sermon on the Mount lately. Matthew chapter 8 is the first chapter after all of the Sermon on the Mount stuff. 
And in that chapter, Matthew records for us Jesus performing multiple miracles, um, multiple people putting their faith or putting their trust, their confidence in Jesus. But this is the only place where Jesus is amazed by somebody else's faith. The only place. And a lot of people were amazed at what Jesus did, but this is the only time where Jesus stepped back and said, wow, that is amazing. Like, how would you like to be the only person in recorded history that amazed Jesus because of your faith? Right? And, and, and here's what you need to know. This is, this is not somebody doing anything, like, extraordinary. This wasn't like, wow, did you see how much he put in the offering? This wasn't, hey, did you see him not cuss when he stubbed his toe on the couch? That was so good. Right? It wasn't anything that we would think is amazing. But Jesus stepped back and he said, that's amazing. That's what I'm after. So Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 1, says this. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, and again, that's after the Sermon on the Mount, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. So this guy approaches Jesus. Jesus, I don't, I don't know if you want to or not, but if you're willing, I think you can heal me. Which we kind of just, we just kind of read past that. But can you imagine this, this, this person with leprosy? He's an outcast. He doesn't get to live with his community. He's living alone. And he approaches Jesus and says, I think you can heal me. Like we read past that, but do you imagine the confidence, the faith, the trust that he had to have in Jesus to say that in public? And Jesus is willing. Jesus heals him. Everybody around, I kind of imagine this golf clap. That was great, Jesus. You know, they'd seen it before. No big deal. Kind of ho-hum. But then, let's get down to verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Now, Capernaum is kind of like Jesus' adoptive hometown. It's where he spent um, the majority of his time. Um, and a centurion is a Roman soldier or a Roman general who's in charge of at least 100 Roman soldiers. Okay? He says, whatever he says to those Roman soldiers, those Roman soldiers have to do. So these, these are Jesus and his crew, they're walking through Capernaum, it's their hometown. They see this Roman general probably flanked on both sides by a Roman soldier. And the disciples, I can just imagine thinking, oh, great, what did you do now, Peter? <laughs> right? Like, what are they coming at us for? Because the Romans, the Romans are the bad guys. They're the Klingons. For those of you who are Star Trek fans, these are the invaders. These are the, the oppressive regime. They collect forced taxes. They say, you, you, and you come with me, and you never hear from you, you, and you again. The, these are not good guys. So here comes this Roman, pagan, non-God-fearing, law-breaking heathen, and look how he addresses Jesus. Lord, he said. Now, we don't know if that means that this centurion believed Jesus was the Messiah or if it was just this polite sir kind of type of greeting. But he addresses him, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And I'm reading between the lines here. But I can imagine the disciples thinking, good. We hope he dies. We, we hope it's contagious and you get it and you die. 
We hope it's contagious and all 100 of your guys get it and they take it back to the empire and the whole empire dies of the black plague. Whatever it is, we hope you all die. Come on, Jesus. Let's go heal some Jewish people. Okay? Look what, look what Jesus, depending on your translation, it's either a question or it's a statement. But look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Your, your translation might say, I will come and heal him. To which any good Jew would go, whoa, 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 cowboy. You go in his house, you're unclean. You don't get to go into a Gentile's house. But Jesus is like, so like, you want to do this here? Or you want me to come with you? Look at this interchange. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied again, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, to which the disciples would have said, that is the truest thing that you've said. You don't. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Just say the word. And I believe, I trust, I have confidence, I have enough faith in you, that my servant will be healed. Jesus, I've heard about you. I've watched you from the outskirts. I've been to some of your healing rallies. I don't think you have to come home with me. I think right here, eight blocks from my house, you can heal my servant wirelessly. I don't think you need to come with me. I think you have the power to do that. So the, the, the man with leprosy had a lot of faith. How much faith does this guy have? How much confidence in Jesus does he have? And then he gives an explanation for why he thinks that. He says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. See, Jesus, you and I, we have something in common. Yeah, we all have two arms and two legs and two eyes, um, but we also have authority. I've been watching. I've heard stories about you, and you command illness, and it obeys you. You command demons, and they obey you. And just like you, I say to these hundred guys, I say to, I say to them, jump, and they jump. I say, go guard that. They go guard that without asking questions. And I realize the only reason they do that is not because I'm bigger or stronger or meaner or richer or smarter. The only reason they do that is because I represent Rome. And they know they can't mess with Rome. And if these 100 guys do what I say because I represent Rome and sick and deafness do what you, deafness, that's not even a word, sickness and death do what you say, obviously you're representing somebody or something bigger than what I can see here. So no, you don't need to come home to heal my servant. Whoever you represent can heal my servant right now. Watch this. When Jesus heard this, he was, little Greek word, thumazo. It's fun to say. Thumazo. He was, what's it say? Astounded. Astonished. Amazed. He stepped back and went, wow. That guy has got faith. That guy has confidence. This is the only time this word is associated with Jesus, and it happens because of a Gentile's incredible confidence in him. He'll say in a minute, you know, I really wish all the Jews were like this Roman centurion. But the only time that Jesus is ever astounded or amazed is because of somebody's big old faith in him. 
The centurion realized, I, I, I don't know how it all works, but there's something way bigger here. There's something way more powerful here at work, and I'm willing to put my confidence in that. I'm willing to put my faith in that. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith, which was a slap in the face to every Jewish person he had healed up to this point, and honestly, every Jew in Judea at the time. The people of God, the ones who knew the scripture, the ones who worshiped at temple, the ones who who went to great lengths to obey the chosen people, the people waiting for the Messiah. Jesus says, I haven't found this much faith in any of you yet. That's a dagger in the heart. Skip down, verse 13. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, go back home, because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. You know what blows Jesus' mind? Do you know what moves Jesus? Big old faith. Confidence, trust, belief in him. And and here's a guy, for all we know, he still worships Zeus. Didn't know the Ten Commandments. Even if he did, he he didn't obey them. He'd never been to temple. They wouldn't let him in if he showed up. But somehow he recognized Jesus was connected to the creator of life and death. He put those two together, and then he expressed that faith. He expressed that confidence in Jesus by asking him, to heal his servant right then and there. And Jesus goes, wow, wow, this is what I've been trying to tell you guys. This is, this is where I've been trying to take you, the whole reason I came. So men and women and boys and girls would say, I have absolute confidence in you, Jesus, because you're God. And there's nothing too big for you. This is why he came. And, and it's an imperfect analogy because um, we're finite beings. But just think of it in terms of, of human relationships. Like the thing that honors me most as a dad, teenagers, take notes. The thing that honors me most as a dad is when my kids express faith in me and they do what I say, even when they don't understand I can't tell you how many times I've told my kids, I know you don't understand this. I just need you to do it. It it, it ratchets it up another level when they disagree with what I want them to do. (laughs) If they still, yeah, dad, I, I don't necessarily agree with you here, but I'll do it. Like, I'll run through a brick wall for them. I'll do whatever I can for them. Because that just, it just swells my dad heart in a way that nothing else does. And I think in the same way, God says to us, when you express faith in me like that, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Not, not, yeah, I'll do that because the Bible says so. No, it's, I have faith in you. I have confidence. I trust that what you ask is what's best. That's the thing that gets God's attention, our expression of confidence in him, because that's the foundation of great relationships. It's the foundation of relationships that grow, which which leads us to the question, if that's what he's after, how how does that happen? 
How do you grow from like where you are or maybe where you were to where he's leading you, to, to where he wants you to go? And, and I've been a pastor for 21 years, not that long in the grand scheme of things, but I've heard story after story after story. Some of, some of them, it's your stories. <laughs> like one of the reasons I can stand up here and say this with confidence is because of the people that I'm looking at right now. But for 21 years, I've heard story after story after story. And I've heard the highs, I've heard the lows, I've seen what's helped people grow their faith, I've seen what took the legs out from underneath people's faith and over and over and over and over again. There are similar things that surface. Not every story is the same, but there's just these similarities that pop up over and over and over. I'm gonna tell you what they are, uh, what I think they are here in a minute. And for the next three weeks, we're gonna talk about them. But I wanna say a couple things first, a couple disclaimers, okay? Number one, number one disclaimer, this is not a list you accomplish as much as it is a journey you take, right? Um, This is not, okay, if you do these three things, your faith will consistently grow up and to the right, just like you want the stock market to do, right? Like, Like a relationship with Jesus is similar to our human relationships, There are highs and there are lows. There are times when we feel close. There are times when we feel distant. I'm sorry, you're human. I'm human. That's how human relationships work. How do you think, why why, why do we think that's not gonna be how it is with a relationship with an infinite God? So it's not a list to accomplish as much as it is a journey to take. Secondly, this is not a list in the Bible. I think scripture informs these things. I think scripture serves as the foundation for them, but you're not going to find Jesus or Paul or, or James or Peter say, hey, just do this and you're good. And then lastly, um, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. This is just kind of my observation. We may get to the end of this and you go, Tim, you left out like three things. Or, you know, there's actually only two. Or some of you are like, well, there's actually seven because that's the perfect number and we should do that, right? So this is, this is not thus saith the Lord. This is just kind of my observation. And some of you are going to like one of them more than others. Some of you will say, let's talk about one and two and leave three alone. Some of you are going to say, again, you left this out. You need to add it to the list. And, and part of that is because we all grow differently. Like how do people grow? Uh, differently. Let's close in prayer, <laughs> right? I, we're all, we're all going to identify with different things in, in different ways. So again, this is, this is just my observation. So let me give you the three things real quick, and then we'll wrap this up. And also, this, these are not in order of importance. They're in the order that we're going to talk about them, okay? First one, biblical community. Biblical community. Anytime I hear somebody's faith story, it always comes back to, and then I met him. Or then she came into my life. Or, you know, my parents were such a, a, a huge influence in my life. Or that pastor helped me understand God and he loved me and he cared for me in such a way that it just, my faith just grew. God uses other people and our growth and relationship with them to help us in our growth relationship with him. Every single 
person needs community with people that believe the same things they believe, they're on the same journey, wrestling with some of the same questions and temptations, trying to follow Jesus like we are. You show me somebody who's growing in their faith, I will show you somebody who has biblical community around them. Okay? Secondly, Pastor Josh is going to talk about this in a couple weeks. Spiritual disciplines. Um, These are the things, again, that, that we do on a regular basis that position us to hear from, to talk to, um, to learn from, for it's, it's, we position ourselves so that the Holy Spirit can develop his fruit in us. And some of them are done privately. Some of them are done um, publicly or, or with other people. They're ongoing. We never stop because this is just, it's just a crucial piece um, of growing in our faith. Again, Show me somebody who's growing in their relationship with their spouse. Show me somebody who's growing in, in their, their, their work, you know, whatever, whatever they do. Show me somebody who's growing in a, in, a, in a skill or a sport. I guarantee you they do something on a regular basis. They have conversations on a regular basis. They have training on a regular basis. It's the same with our faith. There are things that we can regularly do that God will use to grow our faith. And then the last one, I'm calling sanctified surprises. Sanctified surprises. These are things that, that as an organization and as a pastor, like I have no control over. Um, you have no control over these things. These are the moments in life where something comes along and it was unexpected and we normally want it to go away. But these are the moments, these are the seasons, these are the experiences that God uses in ways that he can't use anything else to jack up our faith. These are, these are, the, these are the steroids of our faith. It's the call from the doctor giving you the results you didn't want. It's um, your daughter coming home from her freshman year in college and telling you that she doesn't necessarily believe everything that you've taught her to believe. It's, it's just these moments, these circumstances that are out of our control and we're uncomfortable and we want to get back to normal as soon as possible. Um, I'll get on my soapbox here for a second and then I'll get right off, I promise. One of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor during COVID and all the nonsense that came along with it was watching people completely miss what God wanted to do in them because they were so focused on what was happening outside of them. They were so focused. Their attention was on all this other stuff. And I'm not saying we need to put our head in the sand, but there were so many people distracted because of what was happening around us that they failed to take inventory of what God was doing in us. And I'm not saying God caused COVID or that it was, it was his fault. I'm saying when moments come like that, when seasons come like that, it is an opportunity for him to do some of his best work if we're willing, if we're participating in what he wants to do. So those three things, biblical community, spiritual disciplines, and sanctified surprises, we're going to explore those over the next few weeks. And just being aware of them is, is part of what I want us to, 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 to be aware of because it makes us more sensitive to the ways that God might be working in us. But, but the, the, 
not the, yes, the reason that I wanted to do this series is after, especially after the Follow Believe Obey series, because my desire for you, and please hear me, nobody can leave over the next 30 seconds. My desire for you is not that you'll know everything there is to know about the Bible. I want you to know the Bible, but just knowing the Bible for knowledge's sake makes you self-righteous and arrogant. The Pharisees knew scripture like the back of their hand, but they didn't allow it to change their heart. So knowing the Bible is not a good reason to read, study, and memorize it. We read, study, and memorize it to do what it says, to live it out. Even then, you know these people. You know people who do what it says, but their heart is wrong. That doesn't help your faith. My ultimate desire My ultimate goal for you is to be dependent on your heavenly father because dependency leads to intimacy. Dependency leads to intimacy. I want you to have a growing relationship with Jesus because as you grow in your relationship with him, you'll be more dependent on him and dependency always leads to intimacy. Just think about babies. Babies are dependent on their mothers for everything. It's why it's so hard when that baby grows up and talks back to that mom. Right? What about that intimacy we had, right? Dependency leads to intimacy. And intimacy results in, just imagine, just imagine waking up every morning and going, before, you, before your feet hit the floor, God, I don't know what today holds, but I trust you. I trust you. I trust you're with me. I trust that you're going to help me no matter what I face. I'm going to show up to that job I hate with a missionary mentality. I'm I'm going to love my family well. I'm going to handle, I'm going to manage the resources you've put in my hands. And and I'm not going to fear the future because I can't control it anyway. But I know you're with me in it. You're already there and you'll be with me in it. That is where he's leading you but he won't force you. He won't force you to go there. It only happens as your trust, as your confidence, your faith in him grows. And he's going to use multiple things to get you there. But those things require our willingness. They, they require our participation. I love one of, the, one of the things that Dallas Willard says that I go back to over and over and over again is that grace is opposed to effort or grace is opposed to earning, not effort. We can't earn grace, but when we put forth effort, it's like God's grace just pours into our life. And if you make these things consistent part of your life, I think your faith will grow. And at the end of the day, you'll know him. You'll be dependent on him. There will be intimacy. You'll trust him. And there will be this this pattern of, of a relationship that continually grows as you continually grow throughout your life. So for the next three weeks, we're going to go through these. There will be some very specific action steps that I'm going to ask you to take. If you hate practical, you're going to hate the next three weeks. Okay? It's all going to be practical. But at the end of the day, I want you to experience a growing relationship with Jesus. It's not just something we say. It really is our heart's desire. At least it's my heart's desire. Because I think it reflects God's heart for you. I think he wants to know you better. 
I think he wants to lead you into the kind of a relationship where you have huge Roman centurion-like faith. Where he looks at you and he sees what you do. He goes, guys, did you see that? Did you see what she just did? That's my girl. I'm amazed at her. I'm amazed at him. I, I think that's where God wants to lead you. I think that's where God wants to lead me. So let's get after it. Let's, 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 let's put in the effort of growing in our relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to be done because otherwise I'm going to keep preaching forever. <laughs> Let me pray and then we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, thank you. Um, thank you for preserving this story. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the men and the women over the last 2,000 years, some of them who had such faith in you that they were willing to give their lives so that we could have a Bible today. God, thank you for um, the men and the women who are sitting in this room right now that I think about their stories. And it just, it, it fills me with all kinds of confidence that this is true because they've lived this out. And God, for those who are, they're, they're, they're on the, the fringes, they're, they're not positively sure what to do with this, I just ask that you would give them one step, one thing that they can do this week to pursue their relationship with you. I believe you can do that. I know you're willing. So would you please do that? God, go before us, work in and through us for your kingdom, for your glory alone. And I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. You're dismissed.